0: Fight. Oh, and Leibold just went after Chad Irv and rocked him with a right hand. Now they get together and Leibold continues to rack up the majors here. Now Leibold with the right hand puts Irv down and he's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leibold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome
1: I played major junior in professional hockey. Throughout my teenage years on the outside, everything looked perfect.
0: When you're hot, you're hot. Freddie Leopold with his fourth goal of the
1: game. And the Kelowna Rockets having a whole lot of fun tonight. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody. I submerged myself into hockey. i worked for a while until it didn't. Oxycontin led me to heroin. Heroin led me to fentanyl and everything else. Homeless on the streets of Hastings in Vancouver, over three years of my life I've spent behind bars. But now I'm clean and fighting to get my life back. Everything I do is for the memory of Matthew Wazzynski and all of our fallen brothers and sisters in the hockey community. Matthew Wazzynski, Mitch Fatten, this one's for you. I lost everything and almost my life. My name's Brady Liebold and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. All right, guys, welcome back to another edition of Hockey to Hell and Back, The Road to Recovery. You know, this is Brady Leibold coming at you guys live from Morrisburg, Ontario, home of the One Stop Skate Shop. You know it. Uh, also, home of the One Stop Skate Shop magician. Have you guys seen this kid? Holy shit, Jaden Shaver. Okay, little quick fun story for you guys. Uh, and I haven't really talked about this too much. I wasn't even going to say it, but hey, I just go with whatever comes to my mind. So uh, I was living up in Bracebridge and, uh, you know, trying to get the Puck Sport Foundation going and, uh, you know, watching a lot of things on Instagram and YouTube, um, all of these things. And I see all these kids and they're flipping the puck and they're doing all I'm like, holy shit, where have I been for 10 years? Because when I was a kid, I learned from Mike Legg who uh, did the original Michigan. Um, He was a coach of mine, uh, and I talked about that on the last uh, episode. So I took kind of – I thought I was pretty good at puck tricks, and I was back in my day. Well, these kids are phenomenal. Anyways, there's a kid by the name of Zach Bell. This is the part I wasn't going to talk about, saying any any names, but I found out he lived in Muskoka, and this guy was like the hockey trick shot guy, kind of reached out to him. He's got lots going on, a lot of sponsors. I mean, he's good at what he does. Um, Kind of got back to me. I was excited because we lived Really close to each other and he's like oh I'm kind of busy and he's young and I was like okay that's fine I was just kind of saying hey man you have an audience we could do something with mental health be cool to to talk I said I don't even need to be involved doesn't have to be anything I just like to talk to you and he's like whatever so I was kind of disappointed so anyways fast forward like three days I'm back in Morrisburg. okay and who comes into the shop you want to see something real cool this is from today so this was today, guys, and this is him with a hurt hand, and this is <laughs> this is really nothing uh in the grand scheme of things, but check this out. Yeah, that's it. All right, guys, welcome
0: back to another episode of Bobby The Hell and Back. The roads are recovering yeah, oh, for this oh, I don't know how this is gonna work. What the hell?
1: Did you see that? Yeah, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Um, We did even a live video. You guys got to follow him. That's at Jaden Shaver uh, on Instagram. He's also working at the one-stop skate shop, but this guy like came into the store and he's the best I've ever seen. So he's been working since he was a kid at this and he actually gave it up about a year ago. Uh, and now we've been able, Matt and I have been able to inspire him to pick up his stick again and getting him, you know, going. He's gonna start his own show called the Puck Talk Show. Terry Ryan's gonna hop on and help him out, just like a quick five minute interview, fun kind of interview. Terry Ryan's gonna help him out. Uh, maybe my guest today is gonna help him out. Who knows? He's a great kid, he's 18 years old. Get this, he's never had a sip of alcohol, he's never had a smoke of anything. He is uh he's got two little brothers he's probably at home uh playing mini sticks with his little brother right now little brothers shout out to them as well um quickly before we get in the episode his, his little brother came into the store i met him for the first day i'm like hey little hey bud what's your name he looks at me he's like this i like to fight i'm like okay i'm like you're deadly bud i'm like i got time for you any day so um listen uh, I'm excited because Jaden is so talented uh, and more so uh, the inspiration. I could see him and his dad pulled Matt aside. and He's like, hey, I don't know what you guys have done to this kid, uh, but he's he's happier than he's ever been. Uh, and so that to me is the coolest thing, right? And so no, nothing against Zach Bell. He's super talented, um, but I'm kind of calling him out. I want to see a, a head-to-head competition. If you're the man, um, we'll come to you even. Uh, I'll put my money on Jaden any day Of the week. Um, anyways, um, that's pretty much it before we get into the episode. Uh, but you know, this episode is proudly brought to you by Team Issue Limited. Team Issue is connecting all walks of life. Team Issue does this by recreating that special feeling of being part of something bigger, a community for all striving towards the same goal. Guys, check it out teamissue.ca. Use promo code Drag, 15 to get 15% off your total purchase. Guys, if you haven't checked it out, uh, it's pretty sick. Uh, the clothing, they got pretty much everything. Uh, and of course, he's a Clone Rocket alumni, uh, great kid. He's not even a kid anymore. He was 16 when I played with him, so I still picture him that age. Uh, but Jesse Paradise. Um, unbelievable thanks jess uh for sponsoring my show i mentioned it from time to time but he was my second guest on episode three uh and uh you know he offered to sponsor the show right away which it sort of lent my show some credibility uh and it kind of and and what it did for me i full disclosure I, like i said i just got out of jail i had no clothes i had nothing so the guy sent me like a box of team stuff he's like here bro i got you don't worry um Thanks, Jess. Love you, man. Um, much love uh, to you out in Manitoba. Um, without further ado, though, I think uh, we get right into episode uh, seven, Hockey to Hell and Back. Um, really, I think it's like episode 71 if you if I was counting all the, the ones from Hockey to Heroin and and that. And I've had some kind of mixed feedback. Some people are kind of choked I changed the name. They're like, man, why would you change the name? I like that name. I'm like, I know. I liked it too. But it. It sort of had limitations in the podcast world i feel like when you see see guys like you know who i'm going to talk to holding the stanley cup and then the word heroin and then doug gilmore and the word hair in the picture it just sort of i sort of was sick of looking at the word heroin to be honest too and i was like man that's not part of my life anymore you know so that's sort of why but i hope you guys like it it's pretty much the same content so just a quick little blur but i'll see you guys in about five minutes I have done 60 podcasts since I first talked to Brent Sopel way back on episode 10 of Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. A lot has changed since then. I went back and listened to it last night and it made me laugh. But it also allowed me to remember that our first episode together was the first episode that I really dedicated to Matthew Lezynski. I was even pronouncing his name wrong, Matthew Lezynski. Now I've connected with his family and also become best friends with Matt Thompson. Lezinski's best friend. Here I am in Morrisburg with a world of opportunity in front of me. And so much of it started with Matthew Lezinski. And now we get to honor him every single day. I grew up in Vancouver and was fortunate to be able to watch some great players and some great teams throughout the years. Though we are yet to see the Canucks hoist Alert Stanley's Cup. Brent Sopel was originally drafted by the Vancouver Canucks in 1995, 144th overall after starring on the blue line for my former team, the Swiffer Broncos. Brent and I talked in great detail on the last episode about his hockey career and his amazing accomplishments on the ice, including a Stanley Cup win with the Chicago Blackhawks back in 2010. But who Brent Sopel is off the ice is what truly inspires me and gives me so much strength. Until Brent came on my podcast, I had no idea that he had struggled with alcohol and drug abuse, and I had no idea that he also battles dyslexia and dysgraphia. Brent and I instantly became friends after that podcast. Shout out to Canadian para hockey gold medalist Paul Rosen for introducing me to Brent and also being such a great friend and another great source of strength and inspiration. He just has a certain charisma about him, and yesterday it occurred to me, someone asked me what he was like as a guy, and my response was this, Brent Sopel is the kindest hockey player I have ever met. Brent was the first person to tell me he was proud of me in over a decade. It was before he was even on my podcast. He actually told me that within minutes of talking to him for the first time, and I actually believed him, and I actually believed him, because he was telling the truth. He is just sincere, and he is so kind. He was the first Stanley Cup champion and big-name NHL player to come on my show. He's a Broncos alumni, and I can't tell you how many times I watched him play in a Canuck uniform over the years. I was barely clean at the time, he said he was proud of me, and I was extremely unsure of everything that I was doing. But in that moment, it changed. I started to believe in myself. I could talk for days about the impact Brent has had on my life and several others. I have had the pleasure of connecting with many of Brent's friends and others who have met him and they all seem to feel the exact same way I do. It is truly my hope that Brent knows and feels this way about himself too. The work he has done and continues to do on himself and helping others has everlasting reach. I know how lucky I am to have Brent so in my life. He has even taken the time to talk to Taylor's mom about some questions she's had. And it wasn't just a short conversation either. He truly is the kindest NHL player I've ever met. Just for example, in June 2010, Sopel brought the teams recently won Stanley Cup to the 2010 Chicago Gate Pride Parade. Sopel brought the cup to the parade in honour of the late Brennan Burke, son of his former general manager while playing for Vancouver, Brian Burke, to display it in the Chicago Gate Pride Parade, stating to the press that honouring Burke's legacy and his father's example of familial support and tolerance was one of his reasons for marching in the parade. Truly incredible. All right, guys, without further ado, let's bring him in. My good friend, Brent Sopel. All right, let me get this picture down for a sec. There he is.
0: is. Put that picture up. I'm better off.
1: (laughs) Ah, no way, man. You're looking good these days. What's going on, Soaps? Not much. How are you doing, buddy? Ah, doing well. Doing well. Uh, Thanks again for doing this, Uh, man. Um, Hold on. I got something for you here.
0: Yeah, now we're talking. All right. <laughs> I,
1: heard, I heard you're a fan of ketchup. Shout out to shout out to Mike. You uh, wanted me to uh, extend my, my reach to catch to you. So apparently you like to put ketchup on everything. I wasn't aware of that until I spoke to Mike. But,
0: uh, there isn't much that ketchup doesn't go on.
1: That's well, it's true. I you know it's true. I've seen it go on. I've actually seen it go on everything. So uh, what's going on? You're living down in Florida now. Tell me a little bit about Florida and uh, the, the transition down there.
0: Well, transition has been pretty easy when it's, uh, you know, about plus 25, you know, Celsius for, you know, for the Canadians and, you know, 85 uh, Fahrenheit, um, you know, sunny every day. You know, Chicago, you don't see the sun for about six months. It's a lot of the same weather as, uh, you know, as Seattle, Gray, and, you know, with uh, with our injuries and concussions and uh, head trauma and, you know, the amount of titanium I have in my body, it just the cold weather and the gray doesn't do good so uh, i can't complain about uh you know fighting off some mosquitoes and shoveling six feet of sunshine every day
1: no doubt and uh that's a good point and and you know i have some injuries from nowhere near the level that you suffered but I, I hear that from a lot of people Bren is, is the cold weather and so that we talked we, me and you spoke earlier we spoke about how much it does for the mental side uh, you know what I mean like the, the vitamin D in the sunlight but I wasn't I wasn't really thinking about how much of an impact it would have on a guy like you with so much so much injury to your body like you know what I mean is it is it helped a lot in that area?
0: Yeah, you know, you know, when it's minus, you know, you're going back to Saskatchewan, it's minus 30 or, you know, anytime, it's, you know, that cold weather comes in and your body tightens up, you know, it's tough to get out of bed you know, I'm, both my knees need to replace both my hips and I got three heredity discs that I live with. So, um, you know, here in Florida, obviously the humidity, you know, it is always high, but the warmth, you know, I didn't really know it made that much of an impact and it would make a big impact on my head, but I didn't really make no what in my body, but it's been unbelievable. And, Walking in the sand is better than walking in the snow.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree. Although I'm I'm pretty excited for outdoor rink season because I haven't really experienced it like, like a full winter because I did in Saskatchewan. Of course, I was in Swift Current, but still we were playing hockey. Couldn't really, you know, yeah. do anything. I want to actually go travel around on the weekends and go see some outdoor rinks. I think it'd be cool, but I still think, you know, life on the beach is looking pretty good right, right about now. So how long have you been down there?
0: Uh, I've been down about six weeks now and uh, I haven't seen too many outdoor rinks here, but you know, um, like you said, a good you know, good point. You, you know, it's uh it's a new train new, new new world, new transition, new time for you. So you yeah, you know, take it and enjoy it. That's what it's all about. And you know, it's down the cup, gets one on the outdoor rink, you know, every day somewhere millions of times. So definitely enjoy it. But you know, it just hurts putting my skates on. hurts to just think about putting my skates on. So uh, I'm past the point of you know, enjoying it. Now when it's in pain, it's just, it doesn't happen anymore.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you played so much hockey and we discussed that. And, and like, you didn't just play either like you you battled and blocked shots uh and man i i've seen i watched the highlights i'm just like i i hated blocking shots and i just watch you take it and take it and take it and it's like holy shit man and and that's the kind of thing too that doesn't really get noticed a lot i mean there's a few coaches that might praise you but are do you think that guys really getting paid the, the amount of money they should be getting paid for that job in, in say the nhl <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, because I always say if you're going to win a Stanley Cup, you win with your third and fourth line, and your four, five, and six D-men, maybe your seventh man. so those are the guys doing that, and, you know, you take a look at your top guys, you know, you know, Chicago, obviously, like, you know, 10 and K's, you know, your top two lines, everybody's got a top two lines in the NHL, yeah. or you don't make playoffs, you know, so they kind of wash, you know, they wash each other out, but how deep are you And you know, the guys that do the hard minutes and the ugly minutes are the, are, are the bottom guys, and, you know, those are the blue guys, and those guys are the ones that, you know, really win you or lose you to stand of the cup. So um, it may be not the, you know, the Tom Brady's or the LeBron's or, you know, we're getting the, you know, the praise that, uh, you know, these kids all want, and I want to be this guy. You know, no a guy I want to be him. I'm Brent Sopel, I know. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, it takes all of us. It takes everybody who's got a role. And uh, we may not get the accolades from – you know, the media and from fans like that. But internally from, you know, uh, from the top, the GM all the way down, they know how important, you know, our role is and, you know, that block shot or, uh, you know, making that one one play, one kill, whatever that may be. And that's at the end of the day, that's all that matters, you know, is your team and and your team, you know, loves you for what you do and you do it for them.
1: Yeah, so looking back at it, like when you were in junior and stuff, like when did you start to, like, realize, like, hey – I'll, and the reason why I asked this is because like, I had one mentality when I played hockey. It was like, I'm going to try to score and that's it. And fight and that's it. And I, w- I just, my defensive game was always lacking. So it, when did you start to realize it's like, hey, I'm going to actually start to focus on some of these areas of the game that aren't, you know, typically even taught because like how much were you really taught to block a shot growing up or even in junior or anything properly? When was the first time you were showed how to block a shot properly and really think about, Hey, this is how I'm going to make my living.
0: Well, you know, I, 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 was an offensive defenseman. I think, you know, in Swifty there, um, yeah. I think I had my, you know, my most points I had, you know, 65 points in 72 games. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I came in as a, you know, a poor productive guy, but, I uh, had a guy named Murray Barron that she probably, if you remember him, I you know you were probably still in diapers, you know,
1: on the bottle. But, I know who Murray Barron is. Of course I do. You
0: know, he's a guy that, um, you know, I got to watch. You know, he did a lot of those, a lot of those things. And uh, he was high off the glass. He wasn't going to get you any points. But, you know, he played the hard minutes. He would block those shots. And, you know, for me to come in, you know, Bart, partner with the TSO and, Ed Jovanoski, Murray Barron, you know, I had some unbelievable guys on my team, defensemen that I learned from. And, you know, I learned from him. And as I got older, and you know, obviously I was always known as the slowest in the NHL. And um, at some point in time, my career was starting to wind down. And if I wanted to stay in a league, um, you know, I needed to do something different. And when I got to Chicago, they said, you're you know, here to be a mentor. You're here to teach you guys how to play pro, how to be pro. And, you know, work with Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook. But you're not going to play a power play. And I'm like driving home again. If I don't play a power play, I better do something. And immediately they said, okay, I'll be a shot blocker. And I was just, you know, my mentality, i do whatever it took you, like you said, to stay in the league. But um no pain was uh, was amounts that's going to stop me from doing it, to, you know, from stopping me, putting the skates on and playing because, you know, the bigger pain was the real world.
1: Yeah, well, isn't that the truth? And and we've both talked about that uh, together and both, uh, you know, separately. And, and that's something that, you know, hockey kept me out of my own head and and gave me that sort of uh, almost like a second life. Right. And, and same for you. And uh, maybe you can talk about that and then we can get into to a little bit about your foundation, but in case anybody didn't, doesn't know your story um, you, I don't want to say, I know that you suffer from dysgraphia and dyslexia, but um, there's another one in there that I always forget the name of.
0: ADHD. Oh, okay. I thought
1: there was
0: another one. Dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia are the three are the, are the reading, writing, uh, and math problems of, you know, in the world of uh, family of dyslexia. Okay, um, wow. I do flip some numbers, um, but, you know, it doesn't matter what, you know, what you are, confidence is everything. You talk you watch any, any, uh, you know, if you're a TSN watching any interview with any athlete, everything's confidence. And it's not even that the upper world, I don't care how smart you are. If you're not confident in yourself and in your ability, you're going nowhere. And, you know, uh, the only place I could get my self esteem, my confidence from was hockey. You know, the rest of the world, you know, you struggle with reading and writing you know fitting in because you see the world differently um that's why i would do anything to to stay on the ice and play as long as i did and, you know broke bones it didn't matter what I, what i did you know because i didn't have the confidence you know uh, outside of the game of hockey outside of the ice surface you know for anything yeah
1: yeah and and i mean that you talked about that with me the last time you were on and and how and you talk about it in your, in your documentary, which I, man, it's uh, the short, it's 24 minutes long or just over 24 minutes long. If anybody hasn't seen it, it's available on YouTube. You sent it to me before it was released. And I want to say that I truly appreciated that. You're like, don't show this to anybody. And I, of course I show it to my girlfriend and her family, but I was like, you can't show anybody else. And I didn't because I felt, you know what I mean? That was a, that was really cool for me that I got to see it. And I thought you guys did a great job and, and uh, I'll make sure that I post the link in the description um, because you really talk about, uh, you know, the lack of confidence when you were growing up and how, you know, but why don't you tell people about how you came to, to find out that you even had this, uh, these disorders? Because I think that's kind of the, the cool story and it just, you know, it, it's kind of inspiring.
0: Yeah, you know, you know dyslexia is, is something that's not talked about, but it's, you know, it's one in five and it's hereditary. You know, I always compare it to autism. Everybody knows what autism is, and that's one in 65. And and it's not hereditary. So, you know, I grew up going through school, um, struggling, you know. So we're born with a right, boring wire differently, born with it. And so we start struggling from the day we pick up that first book, you know, whatever that's two years old, three years, four years. We start struggling. That's when we start struggling, you know, and, um, when you start struggling day after day, Every time you go and you know grow up and you look around and why can everybody else do it, you know, but me? And the three common words you hear is the slack said, You're dumb, stupid, and lazy. Yes. Because it, it's here. So everybody thinks you're not working hard, you know, you're you know, you're lazy, you're just screwing around. But you know, that's the furthest from the choice. Actually we're working so hard that yeah. they don't know. But you telling me kid that they're dumb or stupid or lazy at time and time again, at some point in time they start believing it. And, you know, I was reading at a grade four level in high school. You know, high school, when, you, you know, all you want to do is fit in and, you know, look at the chicks and trying to be cool, you know, you're know, in the middle of that, trying to be puberty. It's it's tough enough as it is. Never mind reading at a grade four level. You know, I hated, high school. You know, from the time I woke up, you know, to the time that I left that, you know, left that, that school, hated every second of it because I struggled. You know, struggled at gym class because, you, you know, you started to have to write tests in there. So, you know, great i could accomplish you know everything but then i had to write tests too what the fuck yeah you know so um i hadn't you know we talked about no self-esteem it's because when you struggle like you do at school the simplest things that you know the rest of the world takes for granted you know where's our confidence? nothing you know we don't match up with our peers or nothing so i had kids and my uh, my daughter, who was 18 now, was was struggling too, and we took her into our neuropsych, and she was in grade two, and uh, you yeah, know the folks there, and it was two, two two days of testing. You know, we went back and um, looked for the test results, and you know those answers were, that was me, you know that was me, and that was that was a stepping to to figure out, you know, found out she's dyslexic. I'm like, the hell's that word? You know, and you know, at that point in time, a little bit more uh, digging, and found out you know, I'm dyslexic. So, if it wasn't is it was hereditary, if I didn't pass it to her, I still wouldn't have a clue today, we wouldn't be talking today, I probably wouldn't be alive and doing the things I'm doing. But you know, she's very happy I passed it to her, not but uh, she's doing great, you know, a freshman or her first year in college, and yeah. um. We caught it at a young age so so she's okay and that's that's the key but i was 32 33 years old you know so yeah. the scars that i have and the uh, wounds that i have will never you know will never heal. that's why the story's not about me anymore it's about every yeah. kid if i can prevent uh, a kid to having the scars or you know if you diagnose cancer early guess what you're okay This the exact same thing you know early detection is the biggest thing
1: that, that's so key right and I think that's so important and, and it's it's interesting right and I mentioned it and I know people and I've I've met people several people especially when I was behind bars. Um, you know I can't uh, I actually helped I think now in total between being in BC jails and Ontario, I think six people I helped graduate uh, over mm-hmm. the three years I was in there. Uh, and in a lot of the cases I had to, you know, write this stuff out for them because if I didn't, they would get so frustrated. And cause I saw their lack of confidence, they immediately would get embarrassed and shut down. They wouldn't even want to try because they're so worried that I'm judging them and whatever. And then once they would get confident with me, it was okay. But then they're constantly worried if anybody else is around and man, so it, I did my best to, to help these guys because I was like, man, I, some of them, like a lot of them are good people, but you see what can happen if you start to not have that confidence. Imagine you didn't have hockey. Imagine wow. you didn't have that other outlet to go to. Um,
0: I wouldn't be here. No question. Absolutely no question. And that's, you know, you know, uh, commending to you, that's the kind of guy you are to help out. And there's a reason why 50% of people in prison are dyslexic, you know, if you you know if you're bad at math, you can get a job. But if you can't read, yeah. Like I have so many, you'll never you know, if I'm writing something down at work, I'm always hiding it like this, or I won't show anybody. I'm looking over my shoulder, you know. I'm almost 44 years old. You know, I, I, I live, you know, I live in that fear. I'm always looking here, what I do, or you know, Googling, trying to Google a word and I'm so far off, like not a, not even a word in the English dictionary comes up. Or, you know, I'm writing out a sentence. You know i'll rewrite it four times to find out how i can spell each word because i don't know how certain spell certain words
1: wow I, I i can't imagine like how hard that would be and and at least now you can make sense of it the, the thing that sorry the dogs are barking because matt's home from the fire hall uh <laughs> but the thing that really gets me is that you had to live your entire life till you were 33 34 just thinking, that you know believing that you were lazy you're dumb or zoom and trying to now at least you can understand it but it's a great point and i think um you're doing some amazing things um for the for that community of people that that struggle with similar things in families um the brent sople foundation tell people a little bit more about that and how that started um when it started where and uh how people can maybe get involved
0: yeah, you know, obviously it goes back, uh, you know, just over four years ago, I've, you know, I was thrown into rehab and intervention, you know, basically saved my life and I had to get sober and be be okay with who I am, and be okay with how God made me and um, my dyslexia was everything, you know, that formed me, you know, my drug and alcohol abusives, it was because I was scared, you know, I was scared of myself and, you know, sitting at a desk or sitting at a, at a table or an office with somebody, you know. I couldn't do it. Corporate America wasn't you know, wasn't taking me. I wanted to stand the cup. great. Nobody was getting me a job, so um, you know I started the foundation just because I never want a kid to feel it ever the way I do. Yeah, you know, in the documentary, you know, you know, it's called here to change the world because I I truly believe that's that's what I'm going to do, and yeah. you know, I thought that for a number of years. And people look at me like I'm retired. but like, what are you doing? Change the world? Yeah, yeah. Guess what? I'm going to because I never want a kid. To struggle the way I do and 30 30 to 40 percent self-made millionaires are dyslexic but you you know you got to diagnose it you got to understand you know what it is and um, what goes with it and you're talking earlier about you know you know everybody in prison for us struggling going down the bad path as a dyslexic is easier and easier to make that choice than it is to make the right choice because we struggled from the day we were born you know so um, it's always easier to take the, the bad path, the the uh, the drugs, the alcohol, the rougher path, gangs, whatever that is, than than to go the other way because we struggled for so many years. Yeah, and man,
1: it's kind of uh, it still blows my mind that you know you had to live like that and and live in with that. That's such little self confidence. And it just makes me wonder you know, how many kids out there are struggling. Um, that, you know, maybe aren't diagnosed. Like, are you seeing, um, now that you're coming forward and you're involved in that sort of community uh, of people that are maybe trying to change the outlook, um, are you starting to to see um, that there's a, there is a big problem there? Are we making, um, you know, some headway? Are teachers uh, becoming more aware of this? Are there things in place? Um, where are we at with this um, as far as you know, Brent?
0: I think, you know, I think less than 20% of the population um, actually knows what dyslexia is, you know, so there's a long ways to go, you know, I say I'm here to change the world, but I got to educate the world first, you know, uh, spent some time in parliaments and, you know, up in the White House and Washington speaking there, and I've got some policies that I want to put in some place, um, you know, there's, I want to, you know, pass the message to every kid, you're not alone, that's it, you know, you're not alone, so there's a lot of stuff that, you know, the foundation is looking to do. Um, you know, one of it is just let the people know they're not alone. And if they have questions, concerns, you know, reach out to me through the website, org or, or through my social media, you know, I'll get back to you. And, um, you know, there's, we've got so much to educate the teachers because they don't know, you know, their job is to teach. So obviously they're to teach, not to diagnose. So parents get upset and, you know when you're talking about less than 20 percent know what's going on so there's so many that are slipping through clocks right now and i just hope one day that's here in the near future maybe in the next five seven ten years dyslexia will be mainstream because it's uh you know it's a learning difference but i call it i still call it learning disorder because the world's still not educated enough to know the difference yeah and i
1: tend to agree with you on that one i'm gonna put the uh the link on the bottom and. That is the that's the missing part eh? twenty percent is is way too low of a number um, and to me and when I sit here and I think about it a little bit it, you know and and we, we talked about early detection and we that's key with so many things uh, you can even talk like even addiction it, it, early detection can be key even if you know certain we, we can educate kids you know and maybe it's gonna be passed down or different things but with with the number 20%, you, you would think that there's something that can be done, um, you know, right away when kids are getting into, a school, into the school system um, that can trigger that, that, uh, what intervention, whatever needs to happen so that the kids are not feeling the way that you felt, because that is a huge issue to me that doesn't sit well with me at all, Brent. And and like, I, I, I picture little Brent Sopel feeling like that. And it breaks my fucking heart. Like it really does. And, um, you know, I picture one of my kids having to go through that. And, you know, I'm thinking about maybe some of the kids that went through it well, I was in school, and and they were getting made fun of, and and we had no idea, and it, it's really heartbreaking. And I feel like maybe there's just a something small, little fix that can make the world a difference.
0: You know, obviously, the foundation we have big goals about you know getting all the kids tested, and um, but you know, there's there's a lot to it. There's programs that you got to have to follow, and when, uh, when you're talking about education system, uh, you know, there's there's a long list of things. But you're absolutely right, early detection and, 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 and you know, addiction, cancer, whatever it is, it's always the best bet. But, you know, uh, there's a few sayings in the foundation I use all the time. Obviously, you're not alone, but you can't get the two to you with the one. You know, and right now we're at one. And, you know, uh, autism 20 years ago is basically where dyslexia is today.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, now everybody knows what autism is. They got today, blew the shirt. They, you know, everybody knows they uh, in the US, uh, Trump passed a six uh, dollar billion bill. So, you know, I'm hoping if I can mimic and uh, you know autism and you know 10 to 15 years it's mainstream but um it's just starting you know people are, are are just slowly talking about it and um you know you get a lot of celebrities a lot of the big names uh that don't talk about it because there's more to it you know it's just funny tom cruise has it you know tom cruise isn't gonna do an interview like i did about my my life and yeah. why because his only place for grab his self-esteem is doing movies you know it's not the money you know that's the only thing he's good at so I only got myself Steve for hockey he gets it from there so he's not going to do an interview like I did you know because if the wrong producer sees it he may, may not get that next role and again it's not the money it's where he gets confidence now he doesn't have that confidence what does he have nothing so you know I'm pretty much the only one in the world doing what I'm doing it is you no know, because I've been past my prime, you know, I went through my hockey and you know um, The actors and the musicians and, and things that have it, you know um, The world's not ready to hear their story, you know I'm hoping one day that my platform allows them to tell that story and the world's ready uh, but you know can't get to two so you get to one and um, You're know, 20% next is 21 and just it just slowly you know, right. I
1: okay. love it. I love the attitude man and, and you say uh, you're going to change the world. People can, um, I would never laugh at that. People, I don't think people are laughing now if they ever did, but uh, man, I, there's no doubt in my mind. And Brent, you already have, you already have changed the world and maybe, maybe not to your standards or whatever you think that level is, but know just know that you've already changed the world 100 um, percent there's no question about it and uh, I think that there's nobody better to lead that charge like honestly um you know because I you're honestly you're so passionate and kind and like just genuine and to me the, those kind of people are very few and far between um like to a t uh and you know I, I wonder um Brent, if you could talk a little bit uh, about that transition uh, after hockey, because, you know, you're saying Tom Cruise, you know, he needs that, that, that movie to, for his confidence, you needed hockey. You're not playing hockey anymore. So what are you doing? What's Brent Sobel do now to replace that confidence? Because I still struggle with that too. And I know a lot of people do in the hockey community.
0: And, you know, it's um, the hockey community, you know, four major sports, you know, it doesn't matter baseball, basketball, football, and, you know, let's go a little bit further, you know, people that are going to the military, you know, the Army, Navy, whatever, you know, whatever it is, we focus on one thing, school and then, we, you know, our profession, whatever, you know, hockey, that's all I focused on, you know, for 40 years. I entered the real world for 40 years, and that's where my drug, drug and alcohol abuse, you know, um, got rampant because I had no confidence. You know, first off, I was told where to be. From the time I was born until I was 40 years old, you know, class, you had to be there every time. The bus was there at this time. Practice was this time. Game was this time. until I was 40 years old, I wasn't told where to be, and I was like, "Ah, what the hell?" What you know, I was lost. And I, you know, the real world. Obviously, everybody knows it's not. It's not nice. Yeah. You know, try entering at 40 years old with learning disorders, no education, no work experience. Nobody cared that I want to stand the cup. I wasn't paying my bills. Nobody was hiring me. You know, so, you know, that's where the foundation, you know, came into play. And, um, you know, that's always my focus, number one, uh, from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, I, you know, answer, do whatever I can to uh, to help people. And that's why that's why I do it. You know, you reach out. I don't care who, you know, I put people, try and put people in rehab. Well, I don't, you know, I want to be known for my foundation and my legacy, not hockey. Because yeah. if I can help one person, it you know, makes you know, it makes me feel great. It makes me feel a you know, million times better than I ever did, you know, strapped on the skates and, um, you know, going on the ice because human life is more important than, than just the sport. Absolutely. And that's another
1: thing that gets lost in, in a lot of the sports and, and hockey I can speak on is, is the human element. And people, you know, I see it so often where people are, you know, we forget that it's a, that it's a, it's a human being underneath that Jersey and, and these players get scrutinized. Um, I know you took a lot of heat in Vancouver um, <laughs> and you talk and you joke about it. No, you joke about being the slowest guy in the league or whatever. Like, so when you're, so when you're hearing that stuff playing in Vancouver and, and maybe some fans are getting on you, and then on top of that, they have no idea that you're already struggling with confidence issues. At that point in time, when when you start to hear things uh, creep into hockey where that was your safe place, did that affect you, or were you able to still know and be confident in your ability? Because you're like, man, I'm in the NHL. I'm 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 a man. Like they're just hating on me. This is bullshit. Like I'm good. Like I'm good here. Like or was it hard for you?
0: Oh, it, it was hard. There wasn't a day where I was confident in, in my ability. You know, um, people ask, oh, you know, when did you know that you're going to make it to the NHL? Never. You know, when, when did you know that you're going to, you know, going to play? Never. And, you know, there's a reason why I played with, you know, all the broken bones and, and the things I did. is because I was I was petrified if I left the lineup and, you know, somebody else came behind me would take my job. So there wasn't. There was never a day. Um, yeah, you know there was. There's many times, and you, know, the fans have the right to to say what they did and pay. You know, pay. Uh, they pay their money, and uh, but yeah, it's you know it, it's hard. You've got to you know you've got to have a thick skin, and um, it took me a long time. You know, if I didn't have guys like Mark Crawford and you know Brian Burke believing in me, um, you know I wouldn't be here today. They're the ones that. You know, um, helped me get to where I was, and the tough love that uh, Crow did. But you know, Brian Burke, you know, uh, trade deadlines. My, you know, my name's everywhere. You know, TSN. He called me up and hey soaps, "You know, your name's out there. I'm not trading you unless something huge comes across." But he didn't have to do that. That's just the kind of guy in what respect to call me up and say that to me. He didn't yeah. have to do that. Yeah. And you know, confidence is is a fragile thing in, in hockey. And you know um uh, struggling with what i did not knowing that uh, i had someone you know um and then having everybody yelling yeah hey, yeah yeah i i struggled it was uh there was tough and you know if you saw i was really streaky you know because i was confidence you know i think yeah. i was playing a week a couple times you know because i was confident but then i lost it had a hard time finding and getting it back
1: yeah and yeah and I, a lot of players go that i went through that even in the western league there was a time where i you know i would in thirteen games I had fourteen goals and thirteen assists and then I went nine games with no points. And it was strictly to do with confidence and there's a reason for that. And I've actually shared it. There's it's actually after I went to Swift Current, and that was when I was going through the situation when I had that that baby, I told you, and yeah. I didn't run yeah. up and do the thing. Well that she came to the game with the baby and one of her friends grabbed, actually grabbed my son that I haven't met like, and chased me out of the swift current rink with the baby in front of the fans. And that was when my point streak ended was that night. And um, I went, and so like that just, you know, that does something to my, that did something to my heart, but that was also my confidence on the ice and so many other times Um, because you look at guys, your ability doesn't change like from, you know, a week, to the next week or even a, sometimes a season to a season um, and, and it's all confidence. So how do we, how do we find confidence now that we're removed from hockey? What, what do, what does Brad Sobel do to raise your confidence? What makes, what makes you replace or close to replace that feeling that hockey gave you now?
0: Well, that's where the foundation comes into play you know um like I said you know I always help anybody and put uh, many people in because re- that, that's what it is you know yeah. if somebody you know if somebody reaches out you know uh, I t- I talk to a lot of parents I talked to a lot of teachers trying to get them to understand what you know what we're thinking because the hard part about being dyslexic is if you don't have it you really don't understand what we go through you know so you know my foundation is always number one I hope one day that you know, it's big enough where I can uh, do it full-time and um, I could, you know, support myself because it's a full-time job when you're talking 20% of the population. And, you know, what people don't understand is, you know, what we go through and what our mindset is. And, you know, uh, just for an example, if you got a dyslexic kid in your house and you have another child, you, you can't discuss grades, you know, each kid's grades because they usually, you know, the dyslexic one's struggling, but the other one's good in school. So you can't say, "John Smith, oh, you're doing great. You got Ace. or you did A. You got 95 on this test." Well, then you got the dyslexic kid hearing that again. You know, now his confidence and self-esteem goes down. You know, so parents don't think of that, and they, they wouldn't because they don't have it. So having those conversations with parents or teachers or um, principals or superintendents of well, what to do, because you know they're trying to tell us what to do when you have no idea what we're going through. So as a principal, you're not going to tell me what to do. Because you don't know and that's you know that's the biggest thing and and you and i connect because we talked about this you know going to counseling you know there's much that i haven't gone through so i can help whoever you know i'm not a doctor with a dr in front of my name and then you know what this is chapter 12 one page one no because i've lived it
1: yeah and life experience is in my opinion way I think there's uh, a lot to be learned uh, from going to school and, and things of that nature. But to me, when it comes to, to discussions in recovery and, and things of that nature, life experience is going to trump uh, what you can read in a book any day of the week. And uh, is,
0: You have to go to school and educate yourself 100%. But, you know, for what we're talking about, you know, recovery or um, things that, you know, there's no book that matches it. No. Because they'll never understand it. And I tell parents all the time and, and your kid knows you you don't know, love them, but they know that you really don't understand. So yes, you to go and be an engineer or, or you know, rocket scientist yeah, you gotta go to school. But you know, for the stuff we're talking about, you know, those life experiences is, is you know, way overweighs, you know, any education.
1: Yeah. And so like when you were playing uh, in the NHL, uh, you know, there's, you know, guys party and, and stuff. And I'm sure you did too. And we, we talked about that a little bit, but how, like, did it really ramp up after uh, your playing days and looking back on it? Uh, maybe was there ever a time in your, during your playing career where there, you were really struggling with, with drugs or alcohol um, and, and, what percentage of guys do you would you say you know are, are on the edge of, of you know abusing any sort of substance or, or something just to take off that edge or that pressure of playing in the NHL? Is it a problem, Brent?
0: Yeah, it, you know it is. A, it's a problem, and I think it's a problem around the world. Mm-hmm. You know how many people come home from work and grab a drink? Yes. You know, um, I think you know. During COVID here, I think it has been been a great thing. There's been a message, and you know, it's you know, the people that have passed away, you know, bless their heart, rest in peace. And that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about everybody else who who has time to to learn about who they are, and you know, self evaluation and, and learning who you are. And at the end of the day, re really loving yourself because if you don't love yourself, you can't love anybody else. And I think that's where it really comes into play around the world. So that. You don't have to turn to alcohol. That's a dog You're, toy. Right. Alcohol or drugs to cover up that bad day or that bad meeting or that bad game. You know, um, you don't really realize how much alcohol is involved until you try and get sober. Yes. It's, it's everywhere, you know, and, and now, you know, with marijuana being, being legal in certain states and in Canada and, you know, it's a gateway drug from 14 to 22. Yeah. Nobody talks about that, you know, and, you know, so instead of using a, a chemical to cover it up, you know, let's, let's talk about it. Let's, you know, let's dig deep. Let's understand why. And, yeah. you know, the people who did the work during COVID are, are great, are doing great. But the people who haven't, you know, are spitting out of control because you had to learn, you had to learn a lot of things about yourself. There's, You know what's going to happen here you can't control it you can only control one thing and that's yourself and you can't worry about tomorrow or today you can't change the future You can't change the past because guess what you might be dead you can only live for now i might not wake up in the morning
1: yeah
0: which is you know which is true when my card's pulled and you don't know when that is and can i control what's going to happen in three weeks absolutely not
1: no and you know, it's, it, I was just sitting here thinking about it. That was so, that's such a great point. Like the, with the ones who did the work uh versus the ones who haven't done the work. And, you know, I did some evaluating, like I've done quite a bit of work during COVID, but then I was thinking to myself, like maybe the reason why I haven't su- struggled as me- as much as maybe some people is because like, I just Finished doing like almost three years in jail where I had no control over what I could do and what I couldn't do and, and everything else where I just sort of accepted. I was in one place and I knew I couldn't go here where everything was eliminated out of my life. So now I'm sort of like, just grateful to have whatever. And I just kind of sort of came out right at COVID and, and sort of was, so for me, it was almost like relearning how to live again, but there's a lot of people uh, that are struggling and, I hope anyone watching really listens to what Brent said there, because you know you have to do the work and. I want to give a shout out to my friend, Brad Bartko, who has been running this group on Tuesday nights. It's a positivity group. We were in it last night and played uh, a couple games with the people. There's a six or seven of us, Paul Rosen's in it. Uh, But you know, he's just spreading the, uh, just positivity, uh, bringing people together. Brad actually is uh, coming on my show next week. And uh, I don't want to tell you too much about his story, but um, he was born with, um, you know, several birth defects and this guy is incredible. So, uh you have to do the work. You have to be willing to really look uh, at yourself. And it is a great time for people to do this, Brent. There, there's never really been a better time because people don't have an excuse not to do it. But what, what would be your advice if someone's sitting here going, hey, shit, I need to maybe maybe I do need to do some work on myself in, in, I mean, we're not doctors, but what would your suggestion be? Um, generally speaking, we're not talking about drug addiction or anything. We're just talking about bettering your lives. What, what would you suggest for people to do? Uh, that's worked for you.
0: Well, you know, I, I obviously share it with you. We have to, you know, we have to clean out the closets and we have to be okay with who we are, you know, and going back and, you know, Obviously, I, I told you, you know, you're going to do the same thing. We all have to. And, you know, for visual purposes, you clean out the closet from birth to five years old. You got to go back and be okay with what happened. And, you know, um, for my example, for me, it's, it was my dyslexia, it was all my struggling. My parents did the best they could at the time. I had to be okay with that. And I, I, why didn't they do this? You know, I had to be I had to get sober and be okay with that. So, you know, just go back and, and write down things that have happened to you. Um, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, guess what? It's it's created who you are today. You know, um, I work with, you know, you know, obviously yourself. We talk a lot, and people have been, you know, in you know, the psych war, drugs, and alcohol. Your path is your path. And it's been planned out. It was planned out for you. And you need to get to the point of being okay with it. You know, like, glasses have to be... Uh, half full, not half empty, you know, um, is it, you know, uh, you know, am I tired today or no, I'm happy to be here today. You know, um, there's a lot of things that, that go on and, you know, for me, it's, you know, God's done wonders for me to be here today and, you know, everybody's got, got certain things, but you just have to be okay. You know, everybody's got a past, everybody's struggles, nobody's had a perfect life. But are you okay with with going back and and working that? And like I said, cleaning out the closets is the biggest thing. Because if you don't, as you know, bro, you know, it's going to wear its head. Something's going to poke. You leave one thing in one of those closets, it's going to poke its head out. Some point in time, I promise you, it's not going to be pretty.
1: Yeah. And it gets worse every time. Sorry, I brought up that text I didn't mean to bring up. It says uh, from David Carlson, who's one of my biggest supporters. He says, Brent mentioned God earlier. How important is belief in a higher power to Brent? And has this belief helped Brent with his confidence and purpose in life? David Carlson would like to know out in uh, St. Albert, I believe. I know he's in Edmonton. I'm pretty sure it's St. Albert, David, right?
0: Yeah, you know, you know I believe in God. You know, when everybody you know, they talks about a higher power, you've got to have something. You know what? You know whatever that is. You know um, I'm not here to preach the, uh, you know the Bible to you or whatever. You know that that's that's who, that's why I believe. But yeah, you, you, you got to have something there. You got to be. You got to. You got to have something. Um, you know, I've got a friend. Uh, you know, my oldest son. You know, he brought me a seven-month-old grandson. You know, um, we adopted him. You know, at 16, both his parents died six months apart. But guess what? You know what's his higher, higher power? You know his parents. Yeah. You know, so it's different for everybody. You know, I had, I had a girl I worked with the other day, you know, uh, oh, is it okay? There's no right or wrong. It's what works for you. Nobody's lived their shoes. Nobody lives their past others. So don't look at anybody else and say, does this make sense? Just, no? Does it work for you? There's no right or wrong. There's no this or that. It's what works for you and whatever that is.
1: Yeah. And, And I think so, like, for me, what's worked is, like, you know, you got to have some sort of an outlet. Are you – for me, I'm starting to get on the ice again, um, which has been really nice. It's actually been extremely frustrating and hard to the point, full disclosure, I wanted to quit for a while. Uh, I was just being really pouty and a bit of a baby. But Matt was like, man, you can't – and what kind of guy, what kind of puck sport warrior would I be if I quit? It was just for, like, a short period of time because I was, like, so discouraged. You know what I mean? Like, and it just – but I was like, man, I'm going to get through this. Uh, but it's still, I think I need to work out more. Are you still doing anything for yourself physically? Um, after retiring from hockey, because some guys are just built to work out and they, they love it and they never stop. Whereas some guys kind of tail off. And I think that can have a huge effect on some people. If they go from having that active lifestyle to nothing. So where are you at with, with as far as your physicality and working out and all of that sort of stuff, what are you doing these days?
0: You know, it's, it's definitely tailed off. Um, you know, and, and a lot of it's got to do with everything we're talking about, you know, a routine yeah. and, and uh, being okay with, with who you are. You know, it's, you know, there's still, I've got my good days and bad, and, um, you know, this move is going to help. And, you know, for me, I want to get back into doing yoga, and, you know, because my body's, you know, so messed up. Um, you know, I can't put my hand over my head. And, um, that, you know, that is, you know, that's the biggest thing is what works for you. You know, and, and finding, but, you know, I've, you know, I struggled for a couple of years to, to get my routine, in, you know, into play, to get what, uh, you know, what something consistent in my life and not chase, you know, down that rabbit hole, which has taken me there for a long time. So, you know, being here in Florida, uh, things are starting to get together, but, you know, nobody's going to be, you know, part of my regimen and hardest work I've ever done in my life is yoga.
1: It was, it was great. And Mike was saying, uh, buddy Mike there was saying he actually said yoga like five minutes ago, and I it was up on the comments and I just saw it now. I don't get all the comments coming through, but, um, uh, I don't know if you saw it earlier, Mike. I had the, uh, the catch up out for you, but I'm uh, getting the show for Brent there, but, um, he's like, make sure you bring out the catcher. So I did. I was like, okay, we'll bring it out. Um, also, I just want to say to Chris Troulson, uh said that he talked to Everett's teacher about this on Monday. I'm assuming that's his son. And he says he plays for the Bourbon Knights. Uh, I'm sorry, Chris, I'm not sure where Bourbon is, if you want to let me know where it is. But that's really cool that you're speaking to his teacher. And I hope uh, that Everett uh, gets the support that he needs. And, and uh, I'm sure Brent would be willing to t- willing to talk to you about it if that's uh, something that's going on um, with your son. Uh, William Picard here um, is mentioning that we should get on jo- Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. It says get it on Audible so you don't have to try and read. I listen to a lot of Audible books myself. Uh, going down the list, William Picard says, yoga helped me rebuild my back after surgery. Better than the, oh, than the doctor I was scra- prescribed, a painkiller. I'm pretty sure the PT I was prescribed. Uh, speaking of painkillers, um, there was a feature on TSN, Rick Westhead, and Brent, we talked about this a little bit earlier, and I mentioned maybe we we're going to talk about it, maybe we weren't, but just because I talked to Kyle Quincy earlier, and he's going to be coming on the podcast, which is pretty cool, because um, Quincy uh, was on the podcast. Um,
0: yeah, tell him I say hi for sure. What a great dude!
1: Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll tell him that he that he that you said hi. And actually, my dad texted me something, and I'm not going to bring it up now. But it it said I haven't had a chance to read it, but I think actually, and I I feel kind of bad. I think Quincy. Uh, there's a thing on NHL.com. Actually, I'm reading it right now. My dad just sent it to me. It, was from January about uh, his son recovering from a brain surgery tumor. I wasn't aware of that back in January. So it sounds like his son's doing well. Um, that's really great. My dad, yeah, I had no idea. So that's what it says right there. Um, Quincy grateful, one-year-old son recovering from surgery for brain tumor. So that's awesome. I didn't know. But we talked, uh, I talked to Kyle and uh, he's going to come on. But then I mentioned it to you and I had no idea, Brent. Because uh, I asked you, I'm like, what's up with this tour at all? Because if anybody hasn't seen The Problem with Pain, and you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but The Problem with Pain is, is a documentary that Rick West had put out with Ryan Kessler and Kyle Quincy and a couple others they talk about Toradol, which is a painkiller slash anti-inflammatory. Uh, I've been prescribed it myself uh, a couple of times back in the day. Uh, they talk about how it's eating their stomachs now. They had no idea. They were given it all the time, injections before games. Ryan Kessler, through the whole 2011 playoffs, was on this Toradol shot. And now they're really, really struggling. And it's, uh, it's, it's actually really, it was hard for me to watch. Uh, so, Brent, I talked to you and I asked you about it. And...
0: What's up with Tordal? <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, their story is exactly the same as mine. You know, in 2010, I ended up taking an injection Tordal 45 games in a row. You know, from the Olympic break then, I was at Vancouver Olympic in 2010. Then the last game before the uh, Olympic break, I ended up falling. the game we playing Dallas. And again, I went feet first in the boards. I ended up getting plantar, plantar fasciitis. You know, I had a walking booth for... I don't know, six or eight weeks, you know, have a rock boot, play the game. And so there's 45 games in a row that, um, I took the Tordal. I've taken hundreds of shots actually. Going to my hockey bag right now, I got a bottle of Tordal in, in my hockey bag right now. It's, every team has it, every team uses it. Um, yeah, and like I said, I've taken it hundreds, you know, hundreds of times and will, it, you know, will it be a long term effect? Yeah, I don't know. I guess you know, time will time will tell. But you know, it's it's readily available. At every every single team uses it.
1: And I mean, that's kind of alarming. And I hope, I really hope that you know they they're seeing uh, the effects that it has on this player. And I think, I mean, listen, hockey is such a such a crazy sport as far as this turtle. That's a all picture. Actually, I just pulled off the internet. Um, but such a crazy, violent, hard hitting sport, and we're going to have injuries and we need to manage these injuries. And I, you know, yoga doesn't always work. Stretching doesn't always work. Ice doesn't always work. Um, I'm not sure what the answer is, but I think there needs to be a limit on anything. And when you're saying, you know, 45 games in a row, um, and, I know the type of guy you are. You're doing it because you're a warrior. You're playing. I hey, I'm playing. I don't give a shit. I all I'm going to take a turtle and I'm still going to block 15 shots and that doesn't matter. Um, and I'll do it all again the next night. But uh, was it worth it, Brent? Like was I and I, listen, before you answer, this is an and I want to say this because some guys will not answer this truthfully. And you could just skip this question without even answering And the reason why some guys won't answer this question truthfully is because they say, Oh, if I say it wasn't worth it, then I was not a good teammate and this and that and all that stuff. But if you're living now with a, which you're maybe not, but you say it could, if you have to suffer with something like post-concussion syndrome or early onset of Crohn's from Toradol, um, in your opinion, is it, was it all worth it? Like hoisting that Stanley cup? Like, was it really that cool? And, and like, I mean, it can only imagine, but like, would you change anything?
0: You know, I wouldn't change anything again. Um, my path and every, you know, everybody's like, ah, oh, would you, what would you tell your younger self? Absolutely nothing. I needed to learn every one of these lessons to be here today. And, you know, I keep saying I'm going to change the world. Oh, I have to go through it all, you know? I, I, you know, I wasn't forced. it. you know, I took it because I was going to play, you know, the fear of the real world, uh, you know, was there. So I'm not going to say point, point fingers. I I took it and, you know, I would do it again. You know, um, am I in pain? Yeah. Do I have titanium all over me? Am I going to have other issues? You know, that's possibly, but it's given me a platform for my foundation and that's all that matters to me. So is it worth it for me? Yes. You know, it's because, you know, because of my platform that, I'm able to get, you know, uh, spend as much time as I do in Washington speaking to uh, House of Representatives and Senators and, you know, up in Parliament. And it's that's because I you won know, that company. You know, that's that's the reason why. So I can say, you know, 100% for me, it was worth it. The pay was worth it to be able to stand there in front of, uh, you know, important people that have power uh, to make a difference for, you know, for these kids. But, you know, but people have to remember it's a job. You know the NHL teams don't care about us. You know who has to do a better job is you know is the Players Association. You know you, you just take a look at what Gary Batman, you know tried to do last week. Come back and you know renege on his deal with the and, you know NHLPA you know Players Association. There's three you know there's three businesses. You know the NHL NHLPA and NHLPA the nine. It's it's a business. They don't care. Gary Batman doesn't care about us. The teams don't care about us you know, get us on the ice, let us perform and, you know, kick us to the curb and, you know, not worry about us because they don't have to worry about us after we're done. If we're not making them money, they don't care. That's the fact of the matter.
1: Yeah. And it's, I think that's the hardest part. I think for a lot of guys is because we feel, or at least I did, even like in junior and, and pro it's like, we, you know, you're giving everything and, to turn around and have someone just throw in, I saw it I, even in, I don't know if you saw it a whole lot cause you wouldn't have seen it, but the East coast hockey league has to be one of the most cutthroat bullshit experiences that I've gone through that other guys have gone through. Um, uh, it's horrible uh, the way that some guys get treated. And uh, I know it's a pr- business and professional and everything. But, I mean, I've seen guys come right out of junior after that year with the high hopes of playing the league. They, they just get there, bring their families there, and then they're gone like that. And they never play hockey again. And you never hear from them. I don't even know where some of these guys are. And I've been trying to track some of them down. It's sad. And
0: they don't care about us. That's it. We're a piece of meat right there. You know, we're a piece of meat. And it doesn't matter. We get traded. You know, NHL get traded. You know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon on the flight, 6 o'clock in the next morning. I don't care if you have a house. I don't care if you have family. They don't care. You know, so um, East Coast to uh, your age, it doesn't matter. We're all a piece of meat no matter where you are. As soon as you turn pro, that's all you are.
1: Yeah. What about, before I let you go to, what about the transition from junior to pro Brent? Like I know it's been a while since you were junior turning pro. Um, but I know from what I've talked about, there's not a, still, there's not a whole lot of, uh, it's sort of just like you're expected to know how to be a sort of a a major junior slash pro player. When you get to major junior and you're just supposed to toe the line, the older guys are supposed to show you. There's a few guys there that have been to NHL camps that maybe know how to be a pro, but then all of a sudden you're in an NHL dressing room, like pretty big expectations. There's a big jump there. And when you turn pro, um, was that a big gap for you going from, you know, you know, major junior to the American League, uh, then to the NHL. Were you well equipped for that as far as doing your own laundry and cooking and all of that?
0: No, you know, it's and hockey's the biggest one out of the four major sports because baseball, basketball, and football, you really don't leave home, you know, until you're going to college. You know, you've got guys leaving home at 12, 13. I left, you know, went to Swifty at 16 and really I've never been back. And, you know, people talk about, you know, I mean, close to your family. No, you can't be because you you can't, you know, if you want to make it in this league and play in the NHL and play a long time, you, you know you can't be. And, um, you know, Swifty to Syracuse, New York, when I was uh, 18 years old, you know, deer in headlights. Yeah. And, and um, you know, uh, Jack McElhardy was my, my coach when I turned pro in, in uh, you know, in Syracuse. he's part of the Broad Street Boys. You know, he, he was awesome. You know, he taught us, you know, about how to be a pro. And a pro is... You know, from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, you know, uh, practice, you know, you're gonna practice where you play, you know, you got to practice hard, you know, we talked about eating right and, and cooking and paying bills and, you know, it's, you know, it's a completely different world. So, um, there was no cell phones back in the day, I had a credit card or a calling card with 16 digits to, with discounted to call back home and, you know, uh the house phone and I didn't have a cell phone until I was 23 years old, so, um, you know, obviously, uh, my parents were big, you know, helped me out a lot, you know, talked me through that. I had some great teammates. and um, But yeah, it's you've, you've got to be ready. You know, they don't care what it is. They expect you to be ready. And if you don't, you're gone. You know, so the transition is huge. You go from Swift Current, you know, at that point in time, you know, Speedy Creek had 12,000 people, and where I'm going all the way up to upstate New York, and, and then that's like a you know, thirty-five hour drive to get there, and I'm living, you know, in the cheapest place and not such such a good area. And I'm looking out yeah. the back in the back of the street and seeing things that I shouldn't be seeing. I'm like, damn, you know, just calling back home with my buddies and on you know, the on the you know on the phone, not a cell phone. And, um, but again, I had some great teammates and uh, that that helped me along there. But there's no transition time. Um, you need to know now, and if not, again, again, they don't care. You're you're gone. It's it's a business.
1: Yeah, well, it's true. Who's the best player you ever played with or against? And like that just wowed you. Like, is there one that was maybe like but there's so many great oh. players, and we can't put anybody on the spot, but who is one that was just like, Wow, this guy's like retardedly good?
0: Um the one that you know obviously played against uh, Lemieux and um uh, and uh Korea the list goes on, but the one guy was Pierre Floz, but you know, and, and in Vancouver and you know, all the battles that we had against Colorado and, um, you know, the series, you know, he was just a man voting uh, against boys. He used to put me on my ass and stare, you know, that counter hit and I was looking at the ceiling. He was just so, so strong and could do whatever he wanted, whatever he wanted. It was a shame for the game of hockey and shame for Peter Forsberg that he had a little bit of ankle and foot injuries, but, you know, he's, he's the guy that's Yes, you know, playing against Sidney Crosby, did he have speed? And you know, was he tight? And Tarasenko and Panarin and you know, Marilyn Mew and you know, Marilyn Mew laid me on my ass one night and was laughing at me. And the list goes on. But he was just so, so dynamic on, on every level, so strong, so big. He could put you through, you know, through the boards if you wanted to. Um, but he could stick around here, and if he wanted to beat up, he'd beat you up. And, you know, he had a had a little bit of everything, and he was probably the guy that. We, that you know, I feared, and we played Colorado all the time, so it was him and Sackett. and uh, it was just, uh, you know, Patrick Roy, It was, it was a nightmare.
1: <laughs> no doubt. I was, I always, I always forget about Peter Forsberg. You know, I was a Forsberg fan, but for some reason, he just always slips my mind. But man, he was dominant and funny. Shout out to uh, to our buddy Stewie the other night. Uh, Sunday night, we are out here in Mooresburg on the ice, just really a little beer. It's not beer league, but it's that's the equivalent, just pick up kind of mm-hmm. hockey. I'm the only one out there not drinking. Me and Matt were the only ones mm-hmm. not drinking beer pretty much, right? So I guess it is beer league. Well, and Jaden was out there, the magician, because he doesn't drink either. We are the three not drinking, but lots of fun. But Stewie made a power move to the net, threw his arm out, and then did a little one. I'm like, oh, you got the Forsberg going, right? So I did remember him the other night, so it's well, funny. I guess,
0: I yeah, and that's a problem. You know, His injuries kind of career short. You know, yeah. you know, if he didn't have those ankle injuries, he wouldn't have gone to a national. He wouldn't have gone to, to Philly, and, you know, he would have kept playing in Colorado with those dominant teams, and, you know, he'd be more prevalent on everybody's mind because he would have been around longer. But um, I was there in his prime, and, you know, he lit me up all the time. No doubt. And uh, I'll let you go here in a minute, but
1: what about what about Kaner with a puck? Tell me about how nasty he really is. With Is he the best stick handler in the NHL, you think?
0: Oh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, I came to Chicago the same time, you know, he, he did and, and Taze and I, you know, we all came together. So, you know, to watch him, uh, you know, mature and, oh, it, it's ridiculous. You know, I only dream of, you know, I stick handle once and I got to get it, the puck's in the square and it's in the corner. And, um, yeah, you know, he's, you know, he's only matured and he's evolved as a player and, you know he's one of the smartest players out there. That's and that's what it is. You know he's he's a guy that has the skill and the pressure, but he has the the vision in a sense where he can slow the game down. He can bring it. You know he can pick it up. He can. And you know we don't teach that. And uh, you know, shot, you know, Chicago Dynasty. Those three cups are because you know he, they drafted you know him and Tays, and and we're lucky that they came in at the same time and completely revamped that, that you know that organization and that you know that team. And you know uh him and Taze always get compared well you know Taze has got to play those hard minutes the penalty kill minutes and okayer can go out there and float for two minutes on the power play no problem yeah no doubt
1: they're pretty tight those two eh? or they are they buds or what
0: yeah you know again they came in together that year together and um everything's the same they got the same agent their contracts are the same and you know there's when you think of chicago you always think of both of them you never think one over the other you know so um it's kind of the same thing as the as, uh, Sedin twins, you know, yeah. like in, I came there and my rookie year together and Daniel and Henrik, you don't think of one or the other and you think of the Twinkies together. So, uh, you know, same, same same kind of thing. What were they like? But I'm man to keep bringing it up. I gotta know
1: now. I have to know. I never asked you about that. I never asked you about hockey stuff because we're always talking about life stuff. I'm gonna actually be calling you tomorrow. And be like, hey, I need to know more stories. I'm gonna fan out a little bit. Yeah. Tell me about the Sedin twins, man. Like, what were they like? Because they look like I'm. The, this is nothing against them, but I swear to God, I thought they were aliens when they got drafted. That's what they looked like, and and they turned out to be hell of a players. But it took them a little bit, didn't it?
0: Well, you know, you gotta give. Just- you know, Brian Burke, uh, all the credit mastermind masterminding that trade. And, uh, you know, that Vancouver Connection organization was, you know, it was revamped because of them. And uh, obviously, um, they're 18 years old coming from Sweden. And this is what a lot of people don't, you know, take in consideration when you come across, you know, overseas when you're 18 years old to a different country and, and it's different hockey over there They play on Olympic size ice. So you have more time and, The speed isn't there, the physicality isn't there. So did it take them a little time? Yeah, but you know, once they uh, you understood and learned the game, you know, they're as as good as get. But what makes them who they are is off ice. Just amazing human beings. You know, Um, you know, my you know my prime there with them. You know, half our team is Swedish, and uh, you know, a great guy, Sammy Sello, you know, Marcus Naslin, T. S. Ullman. so. They had some great guys to, to isolate around and have some Swedish meatballs with and, and, and learn the town And, and just, again, we, I went to Russia when I was 35, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm deer in headlights. Never mind coming this way and, at 18 years old. So um, it took them a little while to, to understand the game and and understand how they had to play with each other to, to fit in. But, again, just amazing guys on and off the ice and what they do for the, for the community in Vancouver is just uh, tremendous.
1: Yeah, they they are such great role models and figures in that community. I think are they, they moved back to Sweden now? Do you know? Like, did they? They're, no, they're, still still,
0: they're still in Vancouver, and they're they're still heavily active in uh in the community. And you know, they'll always you know always be there. And you know, they're both married with kids, so yeah. you know, they spent that much time there. Um, I think they may go down back in the summertime, but that's that's home. You spend long long enough time in, in one spot, uh, and you know, no matter where you're from, it it ends up being home. And, you know, there's no 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 more beautiful place in the world than, than Vancouver.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, shout-outs to the Lower Mainland. I miss it too. That's where I'm from, you know, and I'm from Port Coquitlam, uh, but I miss home too. I'm hoping that I could get Taylor and the kids back there um, shortly. I don't know. I didn't even, uh, talk to you too much about it because we just talked briefly earlier. But the kids are down in uh, down in Muskoka still. But uh, I got. Where is it? Check it out. Show everybody. I got my rental application today for the place, so hopefully they're gonna be moving up here soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but Brent, listen, we can uh, we'll wrap this up. But I'm gonna probably bug you again down the road Thank uh, you. in in a few months to come come back on. We'll shoot the shit again, and uh, I'll probably call you tomorrow for some uh, advice and more hockey stories. Cause now mm-hmm. I now you got I see I, you're like my friend, so I don't go to the hockey stuff with you ever you know what i mean and now i'm like oh yeah it's brent sopo man like this guy hmm hmm. he's got stories and i want to know we put
0: our pants on the same way you know it's just you know the, the women getting their movement the is a little bit differently but you know uh, um they jump on it from the bed but yeah well i'll say
1: that's right. Well, and that's what makes you, man. You're such a great guy. I appreciate you doing this. And um, I'm going to make sure that the link to your uh, documentary on YouTube is in the description. If you guys are watching this on it, do yourself a favor. It's like 25 minutes long. You got to watch it. Uh, it's extremely powerful, and moving. Kudos to you guys for doing it. I don't know who helped you, uh, but you guys did a phenomenal job uh, between just shooting of the video and putting it together. It's, it's very, very well done. Um, everyone that I've showed it to absolutely loves it so um definitely everybody check it out check out the brent Sopel foundation um and you know if there's anything i can do of course brent um hit me up and if there's any links for me to share ever um my your following is always way bigger than mine but hey maybe i got a couple you don't and maybe we can just help one more person and that's all that matters right
0: 100 exactly.
1: okay so i'll, I'll probably talk okay. anyways i truly appreciate you doing this man you're such a great guy
0: Hey, have a good
1: one. Okay, man. We'll talk soon. I'll talk you later. Awesome. Uh, Brent Sopel, former Stanley Cup champion, good friend of mine. I'm so grateful uh, to have him in my life. Uh, What a great guy to lean on. I seriously always forget that this guy won a Stanley Cup when I'm talking to him, when we talk i forget that he played in for the vancouver canucks and i used to watch him play and would have asked for his autograph and it's brent sopa man this guy played in the nhl for a long time uh very well respected hockey player and an even better guy um and that just goes to show you what kind of guy he is the fact that i talk to him all the time and i just never go there with him because he just just doesn't seem like that type of guy matt just walked in what's up matt (laughs) Um, we're wrapping things up. Uh, come by the one stop skate shop. If you're in South Dundas, or if you're ever coming by the area, guys, we would love to see you. We're open every day right now, except for Mondays. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that little video. I played of Jaden Shaver at the beginning. You gotta follow him on Instagram, uh, at Jaden Shaver and at puck talk show. Um, I'll post a link in the description. Uh, And I'm going to play the video again at the end in case you missed it because keep in mind that this one he just did for fun today. We were sitting there and he's like, hey, I'm going to try this new trick and his hands all blistered up. He shouldn't even be doing it, but he's like, man, I got to, I got to get this one. And first try, he did it. Watch the video at the end. At the end of the trick, he lands it with a shaft flipped over like this and he reached out to get it and caught it. It It's crazy. Like, Crazy! The kid is so talented. We're going to do some amazing things. Um, and it's all about inspiring. And I think that's, that's a huge thing. If we can uh, inspire some of these kids in the community uh, like Jaden to, to, you know, continue doing what they were already doing or maybe try something new or isn't that really what the journey is all about? To me, it is. Um, like I said, the only thing is missing is Taylor and the kids here, um, Brooklyn and Brody, um, yeah, uh I haven't heard from Brody in a in a couple of weeks and I'm just holding on hope that they're going to reach out again and Brooklyn too because I just miss them so much and like I said though the rental application is here. I hope that we get this place. Um and our door will be open uh to Brooklyn Brody always and uh can't wait to like make a life for for ourselves Taylor and I get our family set up and um, just loving Morrisburg Um, I'm very grateful uh, to be here uh, and to have met everybody that I've met Matt and his family and everybody uh, shout out to his girlfriend Caitlin who's uh, been so great uh, making us dinner when we come home from the shop and she she's not even here like she's gone to work and she's working night shifts so um, thank you Caitlin Uh, appreciate it um and she comes home in the morning cuz she's a PSW and she brings me a steep tea almost every single morning um so thank you i appreciate that um and you know they've opened up their house to me like yeah i'm helping mad and we're you know in this stuff together but at the same time you know i'm taking up space i'm doing my podcast in his house i can be loud um i can be a lot to take sometimes too so uh, i appreciate your hospitality um more than you guys know um and Matt's dad's here too he's such a great guy um, got a surprise for him actually coming up and, uh, a surprise for my dad too. Uh, shout out to all my family back out there in the lower mainland. And of course my cousin, Ryan in Japan, um, love you cuz thanks bud for all your support. Uh, he used to hang over the glass in the, uh, warm up at the Pacific Coliseum. Um, I used to love it. I used to love it when uh, the family would be there to watch me and I'd see Ryan there because I used to watch him when he was younger. He went over to Japan on a scholarship, uh, which was cool for me, you know, as a kid, getting to watch him play and um, always look forward to that. So, you know, he's 12 years older than me or whatever, and he moved to Japan when I was quite young. So we've been able to connect over social media and... Um, he was able to come back to Vancouver. He watched me play quite a few times. And I know he watches on listens to all the podcasts um, and bringing hockey to hell and back to Japan. So thank you, Ryan. He also sent me a video of his little guy out there in Japan with his Canucks Jersey on ripping and roaring on the ice. Pretty good little skater too. So uh, it's awesome to see Ryan. Thank you. Uh, Auntie Barb and uncle rich, his parents. Hello to you guys. Thank you. Um, the gifts you've sent to veda and to the family we love you and uh answer your phone because you never answer i've been trying to call you thank you to everybody for your support thank you for listening please follow me on social media at hockey to heroin the podcast at hockey to hell and if you're going to do one thing please follow the puck support foundation at puck support and at puck support warriors carter Buckman was our first puck support warrior youth ambassador do you have what it takes to be a puck support warrior let us know the campaign is growing uh we love to hear from people there's there's a list there's a short list of people the next puck support warrior and youth ambassadors um jaden matt and i we got to vet through them a little bit and say hey maybe bring sandra in maybe i'll call darren mccarty get him to look over the list say hey what do you think these are the these are the kids this is what they do. This is where they live. These are the things they're doing in the community. These are their goals. Um, Who should our next ambassador be? Because it's a privilege, it's not a right. Um, So maybe that's what we'll do. We'll get DMAC on or or someone cool. Uh, Shout out to my boy, Ryan Phillips. Check out his podcast All Over the Map. He had Darren McCarty on today. The episode's going to be released next week. Um, Sunday, very excited. Kyle Quincy coming on the show. Can't wait. We're going to talk all about the problem of pain. We're going to talk cannabis. Um, yeah, just that maybe it needs to be looked at more versus tordal or opiates, right? It has a, a way less long-term effect. Uh, and can do a lot of the same things. So um, it's not for everybody, but it's certainly going to be a topic of conversation. Uh, but he, if you haven't seen it, you have to watch The Problem of Pain, TSN documentary. I'll post it on my Facebook page. Uh, but before you watch Kyle on the podcast, you got to watch this. Ryan Kessler is in it. Kyle Quincy, a bunch of other guys. They're struggling. They're struggling and they're not having a, a very easy time because of Toradol. And they were given it, it to them by... Their NHL teams. Wow, that was a struggle. Anyways, um, that's it. Like I said, go to pucksupport.com uh, if you want to get involved. Uh, thank you to Dave Gilmore. Look for puck support swag very, 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 very soon in time for Christmas, guys. Uh, if you need any puck support swag, shoot me a DM uh, so I can get you on the list because we only have so many days before Christmas. We're going to fire up the presses, I think, tomorrow. Because the vinyl's going to be here. So if you want any hoodies, if you want any hats, if you want any t-shirts, start thinking about it now because uh, they're coming soon. I uh, can't wait for that to happen. Thank you to everybody who's listened live. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe and hit the notification button. If you're watching on Facebook... Please disconnect and go to YouTube and hit the notification button. (laughs) And if you're listening on audio, please subscribe. And if you can rate and review, I would truly, truly appreciate it. I know it sounds silly, but it goes a long, long way. I'm trying to grow my podcast. If you can share it, if you liked it, if you didn't like it, don't share it, guys. I hope you're all having a great night. If you're struggling, reach out to me. If not to me, to somebody else. You do not have to suffer alone or in silence. There is no need for it. I am here and so many other people are here as well. Thank you to Brent Sopel. Uh, what a great guy. Um, I can't wait to hear more stories from him. So that's it guys. That's episode seven. See you guys all on Sunday when Kyle Quincy joins me for episode number eight. Thanks for watching and have a great day if you so choose.